our scripture reading today with the return of King reclaiming the true hope is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, 12 through 14, 20 through 23, 51 through 57. And then the Bible's uh, in the pew, the regular is page 1205 and 1206. And if you have an electronic device, a cell phone or iPad, you're welcome to look that up through that. Also, uh, we do have any guests today. If you would, we ask that you would fill out this Connect card and put this in the offering for us this morning so we can get some information on you. And we are glad that you're here with us today. Our scripture reading, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firm, firmly to the word I preach to you otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I receive I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living through have some, though, have, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then all the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead and first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ all will be made alive again. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perished have been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? O oh, death, where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. I'm excited to share this last 
segment, last installment, if you will, of this series called Return of the King, where we've been looking at some end time stuff, which, you know, I, I, even a year or two ago, I would have never dreamed that I'd be doing this series. And yet I've kind of come to the place in my life where I realize there's a few of the truths about what the Bible teaches concerning end times that I feel like most Christians in America are kind of getting wrong. And, and if we get some of those wrong, maybe it's not a big deal, but a few of them at least have implications now. There's things that we ought to be doing different now if we get the... It's kind of like we've been saying, you know, what's next matters now. And, and so we've talked about... We know that from our everyday lives that when, when something's coming up next, sometimes it affects what you're doing now. I mean, today we're getting ready to head to Oklahoma. I'm taking Julie and the kids there. Uh, so they can hang out there with Julie's family while I fly down to Guatemala for a week and, and then we're going to come back. But before we get in the car today, I'm going to tell Hadley, go to the bathroom. <laughs> and she's going to say, I don't need to. <laughs> We've all had this conversation, everyone that's had kids, right? And, and you say, that's okay, we're going to try anyway because you know what's next is a long time in the car. And that that affects right now. And so similarly, there are things with end time stuff that, hey, what's coming next affects our lives right now. And so, you know, we've looked at, at how, first of all, that we're kind of in the last days. So our, our faith should have a, a fervency and, and just, a, you know, a focus that, that a lot of times we're lacking. Because too many of us spend time kind of wondering, well, I wonder when the end times are coming. I'm looking for signs of the end times. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, is, is that a sign? Is this a sign? If, if, the, if the Democrats get elected or if the Republicans get elected, does that mean that that's the Antichrist? Or, you know, we're all trying to sort it out instead of saying, hey, we're in it. Every day from Christ's ascension to his, res- to his return are the last days. And so we need to be busy about the mission that he left to us. Uh, and not only that, last week we talked about how the cry of the Christian heart is not, Lord, take me home. It's, come, Lord Jesus. And we talked about actually hastening the judgment instead of, instead of putting it off or dreading it, right? And so if any of that sounds kind of crazy to you, those messages are available still on cypressstreet.org slash listen, along with a whole class we did last winter uh, with the same name, Return of the King, that goes a lot more in-depth than what we're doing in this short series. But today has been the day that I've been most excited about about this series because it's about our ultimate hope as Christians. And it's something that we kind of take for granted sometimes. And in many cases, I think it's something that we've gotten dreadfully wrong, believe it or not, at least partly wrong. And so we'll see. We'll see what you think. But definitely our culture gets it wrong. You may be smarter than the average Joe, but man, there's this song. uh, I don't know if you've heard it, if you listen to country radio much. Uh, If you're a fan of Kenny Chesney, I'm sorry, but uh, we're going to pick on him today. He's got this song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven. You ever hear this one? It goes something like this. I'm just going to sing a little bit of it so you have a night. I'm not going to sing the whole thing. It'd just be long and weird and acapella. Okay, but it goes something like this. Preacher told me last... I'm going to do my country accent. Preacher told me last Sunday morning, son, you better start living right. You need to quit the women and whiskey and carrying on all night. Don't you want to hear him call your name? 
when you're standing at the pearly gates. I told the preacher, yes, I do, but I hope they don't call today. I ain't ready. <laughs> and then he goes into this. Thank you. He goes on to say, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. All right? And uh, this, this verse over here, he, he's basically bribing God here with the uh, throw an extra 20 in the plate to cover everything I did last night, you know, and, and what I'm going to do today. And, and of course, we all know that, you know, if you just give enough, you don't need grace, right? Uh, <laughs> right. And then he's got this uh, vision of everyone getting their wings and flying around. I mean, I hear that all the time in the church and out of the church. Uh, that we're going to have harps and halos and uh, all that, which is just probably not even what angels actually look like. And then we're not even going to be angels. Angels are angels. We're people. Two different deals. Uh, <laughs> sure would love to see those streets of gold, but wouldn't mind waiting at least a hundred years or so. I'd say there's probably a lot of us that could get on board with that. And uh, beats the other place. There ain't no doubt. I love that line. It's like, you know, heaven's kind of the, the lesser of two evils, right? If we, if we got to go somewhere, yeah, you'd rather go to heaven than, than the other place. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, and I think I speak for the crowd is how he sums it all up. And I, and I think he probably does. I think he probably does. I think there's a lot of people... Who one of the reasons that they put off faith in Christ is because it messes with their ability to have fun now. And this being the only life they're going to get, that's not okay. And, and so probably a lot of us feel that way. That this is the only life like this one that we're going to get. And so we need to enjoy it. Right? I mean, who knows what's on the other side if we're going to be floating on clouds and playing harps and walking down streets of gold and in our mansion and apparently we don't have a job or anything for eternity it's just going to be kind of weird we're just out there then then man we need to live it up right make a bucket list check the items off the list because when we're out of here we're out of here no more mountains to climb no more bulls to ride you know no more uh cliffs to hang off of no i mean we gotta we gotta live life to the max now because we've been convinced that this is the only life, at least physical life, that we'll ever get. But what if that wasn't true? And what if that was never the real Christian hope to begin with? I mean, the implications of that now. I mean, how many people have put off becoming a Christian because they feel like faith you know, restricts their life now and this is the only life they'll ever get so they want to live it to the max. They'll deal with faith stuff later and so they kick it down the road, kick it down the road. I'll do that when I get old and can't do the fun stuff anymore. Kick it down the road. How many people have done that? How many Christians have, have struggled with temptation and struggled with material stuff and greed because this is the only life they're going to get. They want to enjoy it now. What if that was all wrong? Boy, in that case, what's next? What's next would really matter now. 
We're going to look at scripture and we're going to actually look at three different ancient documents contained in our Bibles. So part of that time you're going to need your Bible out. Uh, you're welcome to just keep it handy and, and part of the time we'll use the screen. But when we have a bigger chunk of scripture we'll just open up the Bible. That 1 Corinthians 15 is, is a good one. It's really long so we broke it up into pieces and we've got some other passages to look at too. I want to look at a lot of scripture because there's a lot written about end times and most of it that's the clearest is not found in the book of Revelation where most people think you have to go to learn anything about end times. It's found in words that Jesus shared. It's found in the accounts of his life. It's found in uh, the acts of the apostles and the letters of the apostles. And, and we can learn clearly some things about end times in those passages that are a lot clearer than what you find in, in books similar to Revelation that use a lot of symbolism, metaphors, numbers. They're, they were hard to understand for the first people that got them. And they had to try and decipher it. And, and we're not ancient Jews, so it's doubly hard, maybe triply hard, maybe more than that hard for us. So what we've been saying throughout this series is that we're going to use what's clearest in Scripture to guide us through what's not. And when there's things in our popular culture that, where, that people tell us about, uh, you know, about what the end times are going to look like, if it doesn't match up with what's the clearest in Scripture, then we're going to say, well, maybe we should reconsider how you're interpreting that. <laughs> Alright? And so, uh, so even in your own life, and when you hear people that talk about end times like they're end times experts, uh, you know, or, and they're telling you everything that's, that's going on and who's who and what's what and how to interpret this and that, Make sure that it matches up with what's clearest in Scripture before you buy into it. Alright, the first thing that we're going to look at is a passage in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24. So let's look in there. That's uh, the third book of your New Testament. Feel free to use your table of contents if you need to. Uh, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, I can, I may can give you a page number here. Looks like we're going to be page 1107 in, in this Bible. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start at verse 36. And this is a, an account that takes place after Jesus had died and risen from the dead. might wonder why in the world are we starting here if we're talking about end times but I hope that will become abundantly clear in a minute while they were still talking about this Jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace be with you they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds look at my hands and my feet it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here that I can eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you 
while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what's written, that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in, the, in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Those disciples that were in that room with Jesus, they were not just apostles, not just disciples, they were witnesses to what had just transpired. An event that nobody saw coming. Nobody. I mean, even if there was a couple of disciples who had held out hope for some kind of resurrection, there was no concept of this kind of resurrection. Jesus redefines resurrection for us. Because what most people would have thought, and perhaps what most people still think, when you talk about resurrection, is some kind of spiritual life hereafter. But when Jesus talks about resurrection, and when Jesus does more than talk about resurrection and actually does it, it's not just spiritual, is it? They thought they saw a ghost. That would be spiritual. But it's also physical. Because they were able to touch him, weren't they? They were able to share a meal with him. I don't know that much about ghosts, but I'm pretty sure they don't eat fish. (laughs) Jesus did, right there in front of him. So the first thing that I feel like we need to understand as we explore scripture and talk about um, the return of our king and reclaiming our true hope is that Resurrection is about getting a new body. That's what it is. That's how Jesus defined it. That's, how, that's what Jesus did. He got a new body. You know, someday, hopefully a long time from now, I'm going to end up in a coffin or something. Maybe it'll be right down here. And somebody other than me will stand here <laughs> and will say something about You know, this is something along the lines of, this is Neil's body, but this is not Neil. Because this body, you know, held his spirit for a time, but it it was a temporary vessel. It's it's gone now, but Neil is still alive with Jesus, right? That's That's what we believe. And what's interesting about that, though, and maybe you haven't ever thought of it this way, I hadn't, but the same thing could have been said when they laid Jesus in the tomb. Jesus was, his body had died. But his spirit was still alive. Remember he told the thief, today I will be with, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. So when they laid Jesus in the tomb, it's not like he was all dead, <laughs> right? He was physically dead but spiritually alive and in heaven so that's not resurrection resurrection is when your spirit gets a new body your spirit gets a new body a different sort of body a body that's not just mortal but immortal his disciples when they saw him it's like they recognized him but they didn't recognize him but they knew it was him and it was just kind of it was a different sort of body 
I mean, he did things that, that we don't do, you know, just appearing in a room, you know, and things like that. But then being physical and able to be touched. And so, I mean, it, there's a lot that we don't know. There's, a, there's more questions than answers, but we know this, that resurrection is about getting a new body. And that new body is not just a spiritual body. But there's something physical about it as well. Okay, but that's great. What does resurrection have to do with the return of Jesus? Well, we read a lot of verses in 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to put a couple of them on the screen just to hit the, the highlights, and then we'll have one more passage to read in your Bible, so you can keep it handy. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Which, by the way, this, this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church is one of the earliest New Testament documents that we have. And it talks extensively about the resurrection of, of Christ. It has kind of creedal statements of faith in, in Christ's resurrection. And it was written only 20 years max after Jesus died and resurrected. That means that the people who witnessed it, the hundreds of people he referenced in this very letter, were most of them were still living, like he said. And, uh, and you don't spread myths about someone who, when, when the people that were there and, and saw the stuff happen, can say it didn't happen like that. <laughs> All right? That myths and legends spring up later, long later. This is, this is important evidence, for, but this is also more than evidence. It's information for us today about what happens when Christ returns. It says, He's been raised from the dead. It says, He's the first fruits. Of those who have fallen asleep, which is how Jesus and his apostles always talk about death. I'm not sure why we don't talk about it that way more often nowadays. Maybe we should. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul sometimes writes things a little confusing, but hopefully you got the gist of that, that. That, look, it's about resurrection, and Jesus went first, but he didn't go last. Jesus resurrected first, but others are going to resurrect later. In verse 51 and 52, he puts it this way. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. When, when the king returns, is when the rest of all of Jesus' followers, whether they're still living, or whether they have died in years gone by, will all be raised, just like Jesus was raised. We're promised resurrection the same way Jesus already resurrected. He's like the down payment. He's like the, the first, he goes first and says, hey, come on, join me. And when he comes back, we all get to go next. This is the Christian hope. And so, so far we can say that resurrection is about getting a new body and not only for Jesus, but also for his followers. Not only for Jesus, but also for his followers. 
and I would say not only for his followers. Let's look at Romans. We were there last week. If you were here last week, this will probably seem familiar. But if you flip over a few pages further back into the Bible, you'll come, you'll pass John and Acts, and you'll find Romans. We're looking for chapter 8. Verse 18, you'll, my Bible, 1,184. Um, many of yours may be the same page. We read this last week. Today we read it with a little different context. Last week we were talking about judgment. This week we're talking about our hope. Picking up at verse 18 and we'll go through verse 25. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Looking forward to the day when Christ returns. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, uh, we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In this incredible passage that we just read, it, it ties our hope of resurrection and new bodies to creation and creation's hope. And somehow or another, we don't know exactly how, but it's clear that not only will Jesus' followers be getting a new body, but all creation is somehow going to take part in this. And, and dependent, you know, different way, different different uh, apostles describe it in different ways. We're not sure if this means that everything on that, you know, the planet, everything that we're standing on, uh, or everything in the universe, you know, gets wiped completely, obliterated, and then something new made, or if it just gets renewed. We don't know exactly how it happens, but time and again, you, Scripture talks about a new heaven. And a new earth, right? A new heaven and a new earth. Have you heard that before? New heaven and earth. And, and Paul here talks about creation being renewed. And this makes sense if you think about it in terms of if we're going to be resurrected with a body like Jesus, that's not just spiritual but also physical, then there can't, we're not going to live in just a spiritual place. It's going to also need to be a physical place, right? And so we begin to get a picture of what our hope in Christ looks like. That when He returns, we'll be resurrected with Him. Well, what about the people who've already gone on before us? There's several places that talk about it. He talked about it a little in, in that 1 Corinthians letter that we looked at. In another spot, Paul says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. 
that when he returns, when our king returns, those who have died previously will return with him. Paul says they get to go first. I don't know about all that. If I'm still around, <laughs> I might be in a hurry. But they're going to get to go first, and then whoever else is alive, then they get to go as well. And we'll all be changed. We'll all be resurrected, whether we were dead or whether we were alive when Christ returned. This is our hope. And then we'll live in the new heaven and earth with Jesus, with our Creator. Is this a different story than what you're used to hearing at all? So often, we just stop at, well, you die, you go to heaven, the end, you're there forevermore. But our hope is bigger than that. It's a lot bigger than that. It always has been for 2,000 years. We have this huge hope that, I mean, it's really more like Eden. If you want to picture something, picture whatever you picture when you picture the Garden of Eden, that creation, you know, God created everything just right, and he placed man and woman in the garden to work it. Think about that. Before the fall of man, there was work. Work is not punishment for us falling. Work was what we were intended to do from the beginning. It's just that it was good work. <laughs> All right? So what will it be like when our hope is realized and our king returns and he sets everything right like we talked about last week through judgment and there's a new heaven and a new earth and, and we're given these new bodies. Well, we'll be living in this land where all creation is at peace and at harmony with, with themselves and each other. And not only that, but creation and the Creator are at peace with one another. And there's no more pain and grief and sickness and, and war and all that stuff because there's no more sin in that world. Because sin has no place in God's perfect creation. And so this is our hope. You know, somehow or another, Jesus comes back, he hits a reset button. And we who have been his followers get to take part in that reset. We get new bodies, just like his. And we get to find out what it means to live in the land where God is king. And death has no more power. It's pretty cool. I think. I don't know if you think it's cool, but I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> and this, of course, matters a lot now. Because people who believe that their best life is this one, you know? People who believe that that life is something different, something else, this is the only physical life like this one that they'll get well they have to make bucket lists right they have to make bucket lists because they have to get the things done that they can only do while they're physically alive before they die and they, and they become spiritually you know little floaters out there somewhere with harps and halos so before that happens there's things they want to get done you know when you're when you're younger you know, just God, just let me graduate. You know, let me 
get out, let me become an adult and have some freedom. You know, God, if you could hold off until I get married and get to do married people things, you know, that would be great. <laughs> Every, you know, if you've been married a while, you forget, but that's a serious concern for young people. <laughs> like, God, let me get to that at least. Or, you know, when you get to that stage, it's, God, at least let me have kids and see what my kids are going to look like before you come back. Or, or God, let me see my kids grow up and, and get married and have me some grandbabies. Let me see my grandbabies before I, you know, there's always something more, right? God, at least just hold off until we all have our, our, our lists, even if you don't write out an actual bucket list that includes, you know, riding a bull or something. You've got something that, man, I'd still like to do this before Christ returns. And people who who think this is the only life they'll get, are also, they're focused on enjoying the pleasures of this life because it's the only chance they'll get to do that. And so, so they want to live you know, life to the max. They want to experience the luxuries of life. It's the material things, you know, that we've got to enjoy while we have this material life. And people who believe this is the only life they'll get, they don't have time for a faith or a religion that might somehow keep them from enjoying this life to the max. Although some of the more noble people who believe this is the only life they'll get do reason their way that the, the best way that they can you know, leave a, a good legacy and all is to help others. And so there's people that do that. But by and large, most people who believe this is the only life they'll get, they don't have time for a faith that might hamper or hold up their enjoyment of the things that they only get this one chance to enjoy. But on the other hand, on the other hand, people who believe that their best life is yet to come. I mean, they don't want to die either before it's time, but but they do long for Jesus to return and set everything right. They can pray, come Lord Jesus, come, like we talked about last week, without having to worry about bucket lists. Because they know that even if they checked off every item on their bucket list, it wouldn't compare to the bucket list they could make in the next life with an eternity to live it and a lot cooler body to do it with. I'm guessing that you won't have arthritis. I'm just guessing. You can do a lot more things on your bucket list in the next life than you're going to be able to check off in this life, no matter how hard you try. And people who believe that their best life is yet to come don't get in a panic about physical pleasures because the best this life has to offer can't compare with the best yet to come. And the people who believe that their best life is yet to come are free to give and live and love generously. For one, they're in practice mode. Because that's how we'll all live in our best life ever. But also because we want others to share our hope too. Right? And sum a lot of this up just by saying, this isn't the only life you'll get. It's not even the best life you'll get. But when our king returns... That day will mark the beginning of your best life ever.
Let me tell you what Jesus followers don't do, though. People who believe that their best life is yet to come, they don't put it on cruise control and just wait for the king to show up. In fact, Jesus warned specifically against that. He kind of compared it to like a wedding party, you know, that, that the, in that day the, the bridesmaids and all got ready and then they had to wait sometimes a long time for the groom to come. He has to prepare the home and everything. He might have to build a house before he comes. Get everything in order. And so they're waiting because when he comes it's going to be a big party. And Jesus says that if you're not persevering in what you're supposed to be doing, if you're not staying prepared, then when the king returns you're going to miss out. The point being, you can't just put it on cruise control. Because by definition... The people who are going to enjoy this best life ever are the people who are pursuing Jesus and His way of life and His mission now. So you can't just put it on cruise control, dial it in and say, I'm going to enjoy that when it comes. That's not how it works. What do you need to do different now in light of what's next? Do you need to let go of some material things? Do you need to redefine what it means to have a life? (laughs) Our world, you know, does a good job of, of casting a vision of what it means to have a good life. And a lot of times it's a very different vision than the one cast by Scripture. But in light of what's next, do you need to redefine what it means to have a life? Do you need to tell someone that you love about Jesus because they don't share your hope? I wonder if anyone here, even even Christians, struggle with fear and anxiety about what's next. Do you need to release your fear of death and the afterlife? Do you need to stop grieving for a loved one as though you had no hope at all? What I mean there is not that you stop grieving, just that you stop grieving like someone who doesn't have any hope. You know, like the world grieves. Where are you today? And what what do you need to do in light of what's next? What do you need to do right now? Our hope is not just life after death. A uh, New Testament scholar puts it this way. It's, it's uh, not just life after death. It's life after life after death. <laughs> that, 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 you know, when we die, there's a life after death, sure. But the one we really are looking forward to is that life after life after death. When our king returns. And we're resurrected. It's okay to dream, you know, about what that's going to be like. Sometimes that can help I think as long as you don't get carried away and end off in la la land all the time but it's alright to dream a little bit about what it would be like to live in a land like that where there's peace where there's not all the injustice in our world 
the oppression in our world or the violence in our world or the divisions all the stress the our families get messed up and divided and there's drama and I mean there's just we have lots of troubles in this world Jesus said you're going to have troubles in this world but he didn't say anything about troubles in the next one it's alright to dream a little bit you can even dream about what are you going to do there because I, I mean I think we're going to work but it's going to be good work you know rewarding work Julie and I were talking about this on this what pastor couples do sometimes. It's not normal. I mean, normally we talk about normal stuff, but sometimes we talk about other stuff too. And, and one time we were, we were talking about this, and because I was just kind of learning all of this stuff, and we were on a road trip, and you got to talk about something. And, and she said, you know, I think I'm going to be a, a potter then. You know, like someone who makes pottery. Um, not, not like a pothead, a potter. <laughs> right? Make sure we clarify that right here. But I said, well, I mean, in my opinion, then you ought to start taking some pottery classes and get good at what you're expecting to be doing. <laughs> then, you know, I mean, what's next matters now, right? So, <laughs> but it's all right to dream a little bit about it, just knowing that when you get to that level of dreaming, it's just pure speculation at that point. But I think it'll release a lot of anxiety for a lot of us just to think about it in terms of a new heaven and a new earth. You know, where it's not going to look so different. I mean, it's just so hard to picture, you know, floating around on clouds with harps and what that's going to look like. We have an easier time wrapping our minds around having a new body and, and living in a new world that's better, you know. And so cling to our true hope, the one that's been there for 2,000 years that in some ways we kind of lost track of. And think about what does it mean for your life? What do you need to do different now in light of what's next? Because our King is coming soon and very soon. His timing is not our timing. We don't know whether soon and very soon is going to be right now or some other now. But we have this incredible hope, don't we? Let's pray and Rachel's going to come share a song with us. Father, thank you. Thank you because when we messed, us, when we messed it up and, and sin entered the world and therefore death entered the world, you could have just left us to it. But you sent Jesus. Not only did you send him, but you raised him back to life, conquering death. He, he took our sins for us on the cross. And then he was raised to life as the first fruit, as the down payment of, our, of all of our hope who trust in Christ. And we thank you for that. We're sorry for the times that we've made our hope too little a thing. We pray that you would help us to live in light of the fullness of our hope in Christ. And we pray all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.